Oh, hello, girlfriends. Happy 2024. Welcome to season two of Shameless Ambition, the podcast. I'm Lindsay Dalen. I'm Justine Eno. And we are so excited to be back for another season of conversations and big life chats about all the things. So much has changed since we started this (laughs) podcast. We've just like... Grown. It's weird to say season two, even. It is so yeah. weird to say season two, but I you know what? I finished one. <laughs> I'm really happy that we took the break, though, and yeah. just took some time for ourselves to kind of regroup over the holidays and spend time with our families and just think about where we want this podcast to go over the next year. And yeah, yeah it's been a cool journey so far. It's been a great one. And like a good start to a new year and yeah, just new conversations and well, yeah. you're starting the new year with the most epic tan <laughs> I've ever I seen. I know, extra long like... holidays for me. I feel like honestly, and the girls didn't even have school yesterday because it's so cold up here. Um, so I feel like today's like my first day back to work in 2024. So bear with me if my thoughts aren't with me today. But yeah, I got was in Mexico for uh, seven days for my one of my best friend's wedding. So that's why I'm rocking the tan. You look gorgeous. Thanks, and I you, missed you so much. No. So I'm so happy to be back in these chairs. And, yeah. you know, I had the opportunity to see our evolving podcast studio <laughs> while you were away. And I yeah. cannot believe how far along that's come. And we haven't the lights even are in that now. yet. The lights are in already? Yeah. What? That's I know. amazing. It's exciting. Yeah, you guys are going to be... It'll be fun to see. And my husband has all, like, the staggered updates. He's been taking photos. So oh, awesome. Um, we'll definitely take you along the journey of what that's looked like. But, yeah, I mean, Tyler kind of took it under his wing. Um, I think we talked about it in one of the podcasts in season one. But when I told him I was pregnant and flipped my lid, and he kind of just, like, <laughs> went into that investment so that he knew or I knew that our dreams still mattered. And um, so he's just taken that one under his wing and it's, yeah, it's becoming a beautiful masterpiece and it'll be a great creativity cave. Creativity cave. That's when we're done. Yeah. Yeah. So, or whatever we're going to call it. Um, It's such a cool space though. And like, he really did just jump on board with that as far as creating the space so that we could continue to grow in this endeavor. While I grow. (laughs) While you grow. That's right. Uh, You can't see her belly because you're listening. In the phone one you can. Oh, in in this one you can, but she's got a halfway baby bump here. We're we are almost already halfway. <laughs> we're halfway. It's actually funny though because I think it would have been I don't know day two or three and we were in Mexico and I was rocking a bikini and and I was I'm at that I was at that point um, when we first got there where you couldn't even really tell I was pregnant. I just looked like I had a lot of beer over the summer or whatever you know like it's all it's all good right. I looked like I had the mom pouch yeah. essentially and. Um, and then I think it was like the day after the wedding, all of a sudden baby Bean just decided to pop on out and everyone's like, oh, <laughs> you really are pregnant. And I'm like, yeah, yes. Um, so yeah, it's out and about now. Well, you shared the ultrasound and baby yeah. Bean is just punching and kicking away <laughs> in there and just yeah. having a great time. I feel so. it all. No one else feels it yet, but For I'm sure. like, yeah, I've definitely, but yeah, everything's good to go. So, but it looks like a baby now. It's not just a little blob I in know. your belly. Like you can see the arms and legs. Things. and it's just yeah. so cool that yeah every day one day closer honestly the person. first 20 weeks I mean yeah I'm coming up on 20 this at the end of this week and it's flown by like I know when you sit in the days they feel long sometimes but to be like oh we're halfway I'm actually starting to go into like the point of um 
oh no, it has to come out. <laughs> I'm in that, I'm in that right, point of like, oh yeah, like it's not just growing in there. Yeah. It does have to come out. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, but yeah, so today I'll get us on track now that we're kind of saying hi again. Um, but we're going to talk about crisis management. <laughs> because you had the world's biggest runaround coming home from and Mexico. And you're great in a crisis and I'm horrid in a crisis. <laughs> so it's like, this is not a podcast where I'm going to be giving much <clears throat> advice. Um, I Googled <laughs> a little bit and obviously I have the advice of meditation, but I don't even take my own advice in a crisis. So, um, but you are really great at handling crisis is I've been in the crises Crises, yeah yeah Uh, yeah, we have been in a few together and I do think that we're a great balance of each other in those situations I mean you know you can roll everybody through what you were experiencing on your way home from Mexico (laughs) Um, and I can just my heart was with you the whole time because I could just imagine how you were feeling through that it was just like it was the cliche like when it rains it pours it Mm -hmm. was just like one thing after another so Um, we flew back from Cancun because we're up so far up north. We have to take two flights. We can't do a direct flight. Um, so we flew into Calgary on the Wednesday and a couple of our friends who also went to the wedding and live in Grand Prairie were smart and they took the evening flight, like the red eye um, from Calgary to GP and they made it home just fine. (laughs) But Ty and I were like, no, we don't like that flight. Let's have one more night in a hotel and just relax. And of course we woke up and it was like minus 50 everywhere, but we headed to the airport because our flights were still good and we're checking in because my one bag was over from all the wet clothes in Mexico. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, we were at the check-in. The lady sends in my first oversized bag and it goes into the carousel. She throws the second one on and she goes, oh, your flight's canceled. And we're like, what? But my one bag already went through. So we were like, okay. So luckily, obviously, um, we have a shop in Calgary. So we're like, oh, we'll just steal a truck and we'll drive home. And this was at like eight o'clock in the morning on Thursday yes yeah but they already had my bag right so we were like we need that bag back and so after like an hour with the lady at the front we had to go downstairs to oversized bag where she was like okay we'll pull your bag and then you guys can head home so we're like kill two birds with one stone Tyler left the airport to go get the truck and I was like I'll wait for my bag it'll be here by the time you get back three hours later (laughs) it had not been pulled Oh no! and I'm like just standing down there but obviously Again, another like silver lining is my nanny used to be a flight um, work with WestJet. Right. So we've had so many stories back and forth of how rude people are. And so I have this like understanding that really these people, these ladies have no power. Not their fault. No. And they're like, they're really only giving me the information they have. So, and getting mad at them, they're probably not going to find my bag any faster. So I was just being easy peasy. Um, Ty got to the airport and he's like, still no bag. I'm like, no. So he's like, okay, well, they offered us the three o'clock flight. So why don't we just take the three o'clock flight? I'm sure everything will be fine. And you had actually just flown that morning from GP to Calgary. Into Calgary. Yeah. So we're like, oh yeah, it'll be fine. I wish I knew you were still hanging out in the airport. We could have had lunch. Like I found out later that Uh, you were, you were there the whole time. I was there so, I was there a whole day. Um, anyway, so yeah, so three o'clock rolls We're getting close to three. We're supposed to board. So we go down to our gate. They're heating up the plane because the plane is so cold. They have heaters at both doors, whatever. Then we have to do a gate change. So, of course, if you've ever tried to fly from Calgary to GP, your gate changes are across the airport and you have to, like, run. So we do that. We get there. We waited, I think, three hours for them to heat the plane. And they were like, no, we're just trying. We're trying. We're not giving up, though. 
so we're waiting, we're waiting, and I <laughs> then they come out and they're like, we got the plane heated, and everyone's like cheering because there was a few Karens in the crowd. I love Karens, but like <laughs> as the expression goes, right? There was a few Karens in the crowd who were not being very nice and whatever. So everyone's kind of feeling this light lightness um, that we're gonna fly out, but they were like, the bathrooms are broken, so just go to the bathroom and then we'll board everybody. So everyone runs to the bathroom and then we're all waiting to board. The manager comes out and goes, well, ladies and gentlemen, due to weather, your flight is now canceled. <laughs> we're all course. like, okay, cool. So, and Tyler and I are looking at each other being like, if we would have got that bag, we literally would have been home. Right. So super frustrated. I don't deal well in crisis, especially when I'm not with my kids and right. I'm supposed to be like, you know, that just adds a whole level for me. So I had already missed them so much and I was really excited to see them and it was just disappointment on top of crisis probably. Um, so I cried the whole day in the airport. <laughs> Tyler was like, I think there was one point where you cried three hours straight. Aww. So I was that lady who just cried. At least I wasn't the angry one, but I was just the one sobbing, doing yoga in the corner. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So anyway, but we ended up getting our bags after our flight was canceled and again grateful there was so many people that were stranded until monday there was oh, wow. no flights out till yeah. monday because obviously they're not going to bump other people who had already had a pre-booked flight um so we were super fortunate that we had our on-site truck and we hopped into that stopped at canadian tire and got some warm clothes mm -hmm. and drove eight or eight hours home yeah, you messaged me at 4.30 in the morning that you had gotten home. And I was yeah. honestly so thankful and happy to know that you guys had stopped at Canadian Tire, mm -hmm. got what you needed, because being on the roads in that kind of weather is no joke. No joke. Like, you do not mess around with that kind of weather. No. Like, it is literally taking your life into your hands, because if something happened... You freeze. You, you, you have minutes. <laughs> yeah. Literally minutes. Um, yeah, so obviously I trusted Tyler 100%. He's done... Like, it's been his whole life driving these roads in these conditions. If we would have had the babies or kids with us, we would have not drove course, at yeah. all. Um, but, yeah, I obviously trust his ability, and he said he was okay. So, I'm like, all right, I'm not doing the drive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you are. Um, but I knew I had to stay awake for his sake, just so he was feeling alert. You could go co-pilot. And, and I did good yeah. till like, Valley View. Oh. And then I was like, I couldn't even control falling asleep. It was just happening. Yeah. And I would, like, wake up two minutes later and be like, oh, okay, we're still driving. Like, oh. just, it wasn't good. And I started hallucinating. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, is he feeling like this? Because if he is, like, oh, no. But... Yeah, it, it took us a really long time to get home and also too like we were going 80 kilometers an hour because yeah. it was so cold and we didn't want the car to, truck to break down and just yeah. all the things. So it was a run around then just to get home and our furnaces not be working <laughs> to find my mother-in-law like huddled around the oven with it open trying to stay warm and all the kids in the living room under blankets because it was like minus 40. Yeah. So like so no cold. joke cold like a 70 degree temperature change <laughs> my skin was like <laughs> exactly <laughs> just it. Yeah. so tight it was not dry. good yeah. yeah but we did we made it home and landed in our beds and got the best snuggles but yeah then the weekend it was just like power out no heat mm -hmm. <laughs> it was just yeah well, living here in northern alberta this is just the kind of stuff that we face on an annual basis at and least one week a year <clears throat> at least one week a year we have this like minus 40 to minus 50 there have been times where 
where we live is legitimately the coldest place on it was this planet year Earth. Again. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Russia. I always say, I'm like, we're friggin' Vikings. Mm-hmm. The fact that we live here, we must descend from Vikings because yeah. to handle this kind of weather. Like right now. <laughs> no, exactly. But, you look like a beach baby yeah, right yeah. now. But it's insane. Well, and it just like, I, especially coming home from a trip when you just want to be home, you missing your kids, um, you're exhausted from traveling and airports suck. Like airplanes suck. suck. Traveling sucks. Like, and I can just imagine how hard that would have been to maintain some semblance of composure. I didn't. I just bawled. Like literally I, and poor Ty, like just walking around with me, like I'm a sad sack. Just like, I looked like somebody died close to me. Like I was just like. I couldn't stop crying. It just kept coming out. So Well, yeah. I texted you and I was just like, are you okay? No. No, <laughs> no I'm not okay. No, and, I'll be uh, okay, but I'm not okay. Yeah. Well, and it's even harder too when you're pregnant and you can't just go post up at, you know, Chili's and in, in yeah. the airport and have a couple bevies. <laughs> I would have been so fine if that, yeah. Totally. That yeah. makes such a big difference. And Yeah, and just being like trapped in the airport for that long, it's not, it's just not fun, so... No, and so, I mean, that's just kind of one example of the kind of crises we face on a day-to-day basis in our lives. Like, you know, obviously things can get so much worse than that. So I digested it a little bit after we decided what we were going to talk about. And I was like, kind of like dissected myself of like, why do I do so bad in a crisis? And I think it's because it's immediate, immediate, unexpected change. And I don't like change. Right. I'm just not that kind of person. I like gradual change where I can like plan it out and Mm -hmm. think about it and kind of ease myself into it. I'm not the most spontaneous person. So when chaos or a crisis happens, it's usually unexpected, right? Mm -hmm. That's why it's a crisis or, you know, so I think that adds to like the fight or flight of some people go into fight and some people go into flight and some people freeze and I freeze. Well, and you know, this is such a great conversation because just this morning as we were getting ready to film season two, excuse me, episode one, I listened to our very first episode (laughs) of the podcast where we talked about how different we are and how we have very different uh, responses to things, opinions about things. And this is one area that we've discovered in our friendship that we differ a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I definitely go into fight mode when I'm faced with a crisis, I will fight tooth and nail that's when my heels dig in that's when logic takes over i put emotions on the back burner and i just go into problem solving mode (laughs) and i'm somebody who loves change so Mm -hmm. i'm you know pretty okay with just taking the moment head on and figuring out how i'm going to attack it it doesn't always work out for me and it doesn't necessarily mean that the crisis isn't as serious. It's just that, I mean, I feel like I'm in it, so I might as well be in it Mm -hmm. and just do what I can do and control what I can control until I'm out of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're so, you're like Tyler in a crisis. Like it's very similar. And I mean, we've went through, like we said, a few together and I've experienced that. You're the calm for me. Mm -hmm. And I wrote in my notes, I also think like when you're going through a crisis, it depends on who you're with. Totally. Um, excuse me. Excellent I went, point. I went through some by myself um, or been just me and my kids and I've surprised myself <laughs> in staying calm and being rational because I had to. I think I I didn't have an option. There was my kids or whoever I was with needed me mm-hmm. versus me needing them. But when I'm going through a crisis, especially with my husband, he's my safe space. Right. So I just like, Wah! like uh-huh. I, I just, there's no filter because to me, he's that and I don't need to be that so I do think that plays 
a role, obviously, is like who you're with when you're going through the crisis. Absolutely. Your safe space to feel the crisis and to, you know, have that backup, that person to rely on in the moment when you have no choice but to be that person. Mm-hmm. It's incredible how we can rise to the occasion, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%. And you and I faced um, <laughs> fire. Fire. <laughs> Not ice. Fire. Um, in the springtime, we were at a concert in Edmonton and, um, the, all of the prairies were on fire and it like literally happened that day like well I remember driving because I was the chauffeur that weekend and I think we were in Valley View or White Court so only like two or three hours away from home and my dad called me and he was like why are you driving you shouldn't be driving you need to be home and I'm like what are you talking about like I look outside the skies are clear everything's fine Literally, we roll into Edmonton and our phones were like, meow, meow. Oh, our parents <laughs> just all over us. And, get but home, when, get when home. When we left that morning, there was no crisis happening. No. It was just a normal day. Well, and that's what I said. Had we known, we wouldn't have left. For but sure. Like, but it was just like everything got so intense so fast that weekend. My husband yeah. sent me a picture of the sky from <laughs> our... Um, front driveway and it literally looked like the sky was on fire the sky was orange and yeah. where was ty he was out of town that he weekend was in so a, on a work trip so my kids were with, with the nanny yeah. and like you were just like holy man like does she need to pack up my house and go bags and like my kids are there like well, what do i and do and i think angie started in like february or march and this would have been may yeah she was still so she was like sure yeah i mean now if there was a crisis i'd be like yeah yeah you got it like i mean for sure but that was probably angie and i's first crisis (laughs) together well and i mean i think that that first night like the fires were happening all weekend Mm -hmm. and we made the decision to stay because there was nothing we We couldn't get home anyways we couldn't get home anyways there was road closures left right and center and that first night was pretty intense, and actually, you and I both had a couple of good cries about it that Poor night. Poor Shannon. Like, literally, she was our Level-headed <laughs> Shannon. Old, pragmatic Shannon. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, her husband's a firefighter, yes. so he kept us in the loop with some pretty cold, hard facts of, like, girls, I will tell <laughs> you if you have to come home. Like, chill out. You're fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like we had kind of all stages of crisis management that weekend. Well, yeah, because then Ryan was like our steady on the way home because Shannon was sleeping. Yeah, she was pretty hungover <laughs> that day. So. Yeah, so Ryan was like our calm, steady yeah. Eddie in the back that on the way home. But yeah. But even driving that day, you know, like you were definitely feeling your emotions and we got detoured a couple times and there were lots of big crocodile tears <laughs> that day, but... You know, I think in just understanding you and your personality and your love languages, it was easy for me to just hold your hand. Yeah, we just held hands. To breathe with you, (laughs) to just try and keep the mood light. And one of my best tactics in a crisis situation is to look for the silver linings. Yeah. What kind of potential positives could be happening here that can just change the narrative of this situation? What are some good things that I can focus on? And... I mean, I think I developed that when Maisie was diagnosed with diabetes. Like, it was here we were thrown into this brand new lifestyle with a critically ill child. And I had no idea how to care for my daughter. But in the moment, I remember being so grateful that we had family, that we had good coverage. So we knew that we could afford to have everything that we needed. And how great, like, Michelle was on top of our day home. Exactly. Like, it's... I find that when life feels really heavy like that and it's chaotic and it just feels like the world's caving in, those silver linings really do yeah, help you kind of break out of it a bit. And you see, like, kindness in people, right? Like, that shine 
that you don't always see. Like, yeah. in random strangers, you'll see random acts of kindness of mm-hmm. people who are trying to, you know, just help other people. Or you find friends who check on you who you didn't think would check on yeah. you. Or um, even, like, when we were trying to get home from Calgary earlier or late last week, um, we started a group chat of all the people who were in Mexico for the wedding. And most of them are from Central. And I don't... I mean, I know of them, but mm-hmm. I got to know them. But, you know, so they're all extending couches and places for us to stay if we needed it. So you just never... People show up for you, for sure. And, yeah. yeah, you do have to look for those silver linings. Well, it's like that Mr. Rogers quote where he says, you know, look for the people that are helping. When mm-hmm. when you're looking at a crisis or a chaotic situation, focus on the people that are helping. Yeah. Because that's what's going to move the needle and make the difference and help change the magnitude of the crisis to begin with Mm -hmm. and so I think that mentality of just (coughs) immediately getting into some kind of problem solving mode you don't have to have it all figured out right away but exactly just be looking for solutions and really letting go of the things that you can't control like that's the thing with travel especially in airports like we're not in control (laughs) it's not like I can go out and fly the plane yeah you can can go yell at anybody you want to it's not gonna change no anything and I actually watched like it was good people watching like and I love to just sit back and people watch um but to watch the rude people versus the nice people to these people and how the nice people (laughs) We're treated a lot better and the mean people were not. And I mean, why should you be if you're going to be a complete asshole to them? Like, you know, that you don't deserve the respect back either. But get it. Like, yeah. I don't understand when people <coughs> think that by expressing their frustration on somebody that really has no authority or decision making power, like they can't control <laughs> anything. No. You're literally just venting and making yourself feel better and, and ruining somebody else's day in the process. But like, you feel like shit after. Exactly. Like, you know, like, it's only temporary that you feel relieved. Just so unnecessary. So, like, yeah. I can only imagine the varying degree of people that you saw in the airport <laughs> that day. Oh, yeah. And... Ty and I laughed about it on the way home. We were like, yeah. oh, we saw, you know, like, the, the Karens or yeah. whatever. And the lady with the random dog who just sat there the whole time. And I'm like, yeah, I was the one crying doing yoga. I was <laughs> that weird one, right? But we just, you did. You've seen all the people who were just, yeah, mm-hmm. going through the motions. But um, it kind of leads me into, like, my next conversation though of crisis management and its communication because we're kind of talking about effective and non-effective communication yeah um so I think it's really important to have effective communication so for me it was with Ty just being like this is where I'm at like I'm just gonna sit here and cry and there's nothing you can do I'm not mad you're not stonewalling him I'm not but it's just the only emotion that I was feeling was sad and obviously I don't even know what doctor it is, but it, um, they said anger is not anger. It's frustration, fear, or sadness Mm -hmm. coming out as anger. And I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm just sad, (laughs) right? So I'm going to sit in the sadness instead of being angry. Um, but communicating that to Tyler helped him because he was like, okay, it's not me. It's, you know, it's whatever. I just need to hold the space, but it could be, um, communication with a friend or a coworker or Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. I think that if you're not handling it well, you just need to communicate that. And if you're handling it well or you think you have a solution, you need to communicate that. It's mm-hmm. just really keeping the communication open. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, on the note of communication, being willing to own up to your style of communication because sometimes you think you're communicating properly when you're not. You're flooded. 
more than mm-hmm. anything and um and I'm not saying you no, just I a get person in general sure, we but, all get yeah. flooded right yeah. and I know for me when I'm flooded I don't communicate as well as I do no, in my quiet. normal life I go quiet yeah <clears throat> I go super duper quiet and then people don't know what they don't know um I also can have a pretty intense tone when I'm trying to communicate <laughs> when I'm flooded and it comes across as very heated <laughs> Uh, um, I just think about all the times you're like, Justine, I'm not mad at you. I'm just in work mode. Because <laughs> if she knows me so well, that I'll be like, oh, she was upset at me. Uh, well, but thankfully I communicate that to you ahead of time. But mm-hmm. I just know that in a crisis, I do have to be quite conscious about like slowing down my thoughts so that I can communicate more effectively because I can be a fast and furious type person. I tend to just operate in pretty solid chaos management mode I can make quick decisions and just accept the consequences but if I'm trying to deal with somebody who's a very different style from me I have to change my communication and so I think that that's something to be aware of when we are in a crisis with people is like you know maybe in that situation Tyler was having a super off day maybe he was really stressed out about that and you could see that like oh okay maybe I need to be the strong one this time and he needs me to talk to him a little bit differently and maybe I do need to kind of just stop crying for a second and just talk this through with him like adapting our communication style so that it 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 helps the people yeah. that we're with. It's like a happy compromise, right? Sure. Like you don't have to try and like fully swing to the other person's mode, but yeah. like meeting them halfway of, yeah. And I can tell that too with certain people I'm with who don't know me that well, especially if there is a crisis, I can be very annoying. I can just come across that way. <laughs> if someone um, who like in a crisis, they just get quiet and they just need to sit in it by themselves and just sit and go through it in the motions. I can be like quite annoying because I just am so emotional and um, reactive. Which is what was beautiful about when we were driving home, the whole province (laughs) was on fire because, well, but it was just like, we found this really nice uh, integrative space between our styles because, Mm -hmm. you know, the second I grabbed your hand, you stopped crying. Yeah. You know, you, you calmed down. You were just quiet. Because Shannon was getting irritated with me and I understand why because... I kept checking in with her to check in with her husband because mm-hmm. in my mind, logically, that was the only way I knew my kids were actually safe was right. from a professional. Yeah. Everyone else was like a citizen trying to fight a forest fire. So I was like, <laughs> I don't want to listen to you. Like, yeah. no, I want, I want to talk to the firefighter. Yeah. Um, and after a while and, but Shannon was great at communicating it with me of like, Justine, if there's something wrong, I will tell you, stop asking exactly. me. And I was like, yeah. okay. Okay. <laughs> but for me, somebody who needs to just kind of sit with it, as soon as I grabbed your hand, you yeah. went silent. I could feel you just kind of relax a little bit. You knew you were safe as soon as I was holding your hand and together we just sat in it. And we've talked about this before, our ability to just share silence together. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, it, you could feel the connection between us supporting each other in a way that allowed us to go through this crisis in our own personal ways while lending each other some strength in a different way Mm -hmm. it was like energetic it was energetic support exactly and that's just it sometimes there's such a misconception that you need to be saying something all the time and offering solutions and fixing the problem when really a lot of times when people are going through a crisis they just need you to share space with them and yeah. and energy and and love that isn't spoken or spewed all over somebody <laughs> there's a Brene brown analogy that um my one therapist gave to me once and i've made i've used it with tyler so many times showed him the video because it's so 
accurate. And it's just like this sad little bear crawls down a ladder into a hole and sits in this dark hole. And it's basically explaining that sometimes you don't need people to help you out of the hole. You just need people to go down and sit in the hole with you. So, right? And it's just, right. So sometimes you'll be like, do you need me to be the bear and sit in the hole? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yeah. Come sit in the dark hole with me. Which could sound dirty. Um, Bear. Yeah. Um, So, but it's true. Sometimes, like, you don't need to be the fixer. Sometimes you just need to sit in it with that person so that they feel supported and safe. And that's what they need to fix fix it at the moment. Well, and, you know, I was in a situation recently where I was unloading some pretty large feelings that we all have large feelings that just accumulate over time. And I was just in a very safe space to unload these feelings. And um, there were some solutions and recommendations being offered that I felt like with each solution, I was getting more and more kind of flooded and overwhelmed. Exactly. And it was a really, you know, sweet, beautiful moment when these friends that I was with realized that I really just needed a hug. (laughs) You know, I really just needed them to listen and I needed a hug and that's exactly what they gave me. And I walked away from that conversation you know, still feeling my big feelings, but feeling safe and supported in the space that I was in. And so I think that as far as going through the chaotic crisis moments of life, you know, you alluded to it earlier, just who you're surrounded with is Mm -hmm. really such a key takeaway. Yeah. Which like also like is going to segue into different types of crisis because I was as dissecting this, I'm like, okay, so There could be like a personal crisis. You could be having a midlife crisis. You know, all these things, um, an emotional, things that are more personal. You can have a natural disaster sort of crisis or a travel crisis, which those things are definitely completely out of your control. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can also have like a professional crisis in the work environment. Been there. Yeah. And I think like that, that's a worth a few minutes in our podcast today to have a conversation about because I feel like a personal and professional crisis are handled a lot differently and they should be. Yeah. Um, especially if you're the leader in the professional realm. So mm-hmm. if you're the manager or whatever, um, you should be able to handle a crisis. And if you don't, you should probably get some training For just sure. in all honesty, because, um, if you are a manager or a leader in any form, people are going to look to you to lead them through the crisis. Absolutely. So, no, those are critical leadership skills being able yeah. to handle a crisis and, and direct people and, create safety and security when you have people relying on you um from a a separate but streamlined kind of conversation on the professional side of things a few years ago I went through a a brutal identity crisis holy (laughs) man did that suck you were there (laughs) you saw it all go down it happened on my couch no I'm just kidding no you're not though I some parts of it yeah you know I'm not necessarily a big crier I don't cry all the time I love a good cry every once in a while I love crying (laughs) but during that time I cried on your couch probably once or twice a week for about six months um I I just hit a point in my life where I wasn't happy and I knew that I needed to change things up, but instead of making thoughtful, methodical moves, I thought I was making thoughtful, methodical moves, but hindsight's twenty twenty, and looking yeah. back, I just made very um, emotional. rash, emotional, manic moves that 
just didn't serve me from a place of authenticity. But now that I've gone through that identity crisis and I spent that time wondering, who am I? You know, like Zoolander it's not looking clean. in the That's pond. That's the thing. It's like, like re-identifying oh, yourself is never yucky. clean. It's gross. And it's a lot of work. And it's a lot of dark work on yeah. yourself. Like, and you got to be harsh with yourself. You do. And, and you got to be willing to be humbled. Mm-hmm. You got to be willing to get down on your knees and say, wow. I like, sucked. I, I, I suck. <laughs> or whatever it is. Or you I know? don't like these things about myself. Yeah. And that in and of itself, being able to take that gross look at yourself it creates an identity crisis yeah um but the the silver lining of it all the beautiful silver lining of something as traumatic as an identity crisis is if you're willing to do that work if you're willing to sit with it learn from it analyze grow i mean i personally came out of it the most authentic version of myself i could i, I didn't know that i could feel i don't even think this good i don't know if you knew your authentic self though. i didn't and you know like I that's i think that's so huge for us as we've talked about like authenticity so many times on this podcast do you actually know your authentic self or are you just being your social media self right. or are you being who you want your partner to be are you being who you want your parents want you to be Are you being who you think your kids need you to be? You know, there's all these things that come into play and we make up this person that we call ourselves, but is it actually you? Right. And if it's not, well, then you got some work to do. Yeah. You know, and ourselves are always changing. So we've talked about before that work never stops because if we're growing, then we're changing. And then we have to like, you know, sit in that authenticity and figure out how we incorporate that into our lives. Yeah, and it's you have to be willing to break those habits to um, change the the conditioning to reprogram, rewire, rewire exactly, and yeah. it it's terrifying. It really is terrifying. So if you're a woman who is going through a transition period in your life like this, where you feel like you're rediscovering yourself and and you feel like you don't know who you are anywhere anymore. Um, I just want to remind you that you're not alone. You're not the only person to go through this. You're not the only one going through it right now. You're not the only person who's going to go through it forever, but lean in, lean in and just keep mucking through the, the stuff because eventually the sun comes out, you know, the grass clears and it's just... Well, anything you put the work behind too will come to fruition. Yeah. Like, you know, you talk about an identity crisis, right? So if you think about, um... Oh, they say when you are looking for your ideal partner, write all the things you want Mm -hmm. in them down on a piece of paper, you know, all the personality traits or whatever. Do that for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like literally write down like, this is the person I want to be. And you can be that person. You just have to put the work behind it, you know, if you have to make some changes. And make a choice every day. You know, one of my favorite sayings is that the grass is greener where you water it. Mm -hmm. And so if you spend that time watering yourself, like there was a time where I was just dead grass just burnt grass <laughs> watering just everybody else's admiring watering everybody the view. else's and honestly just giving so much of myself to what I thought other people expected of me and that really just years and years of that just like picked away at my my soul and it was almost like I had to take it back to childhood mm-hmm. of like Lindsay who I were love you inner child work <laughs> oh, it's not something I've ever done a no. lot of so that was really weird for me but like you know, I feel more aligned now at 37 years old with my seven, eight year old self than I think I ever, ever have because yeah. those things that made me who I was when I was young and I look at my little daughters and I'm like, oh my God, they have all these beautiful qualities that like, I just pray they hold on to 
as adults because this is what makes them who they are. Mm -hmm. And it's only when we get out into the real world and we start having all of these different experiences and trying to become what we think everybody wants us to be that we lose sight of just who we really are. Yeah, you lose it. You do, yeah. Yeah. I love, I mean, this is completely different conversation, but I love inner child work. Mm -hmm. Like, like, it's dark. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think it's really important, honestly, Uh, in any sort of um, monumental growth, Mm -hmm. especially as we get older. Um, I had a few conversations about this with some older ladies on the trip, actually. Um, Did you make a grandma best friend? Well, no. Okay, so this, I... Do you remember who was the grandma from Edmonton? My gammy. <laughs> gam gam. Just wasted outside of a bar. I'm like, can of you be my people, grandma? <laughs> Justine makes best friends with a gam gam outside of a bar in Edmonton. Uh, but yeah, so uh, like I'll, I don't need to go into detail, but I actually, so my best friend Mallory got married. She married um, a wonderful man named Coy, but he actually used to be my cousin. So my mom was married to his <laughs> to his uncle for a few years when I was younger. So I just like grew up with these people. So we're reminiscing because they're kind of like my old step family. Mm-hmm. And um, but we were talking about inner child work and just how um, when you really want to grow as an adult, you have to rewire. And that, like you said, the rewiring goes back oh, really yeah. far. Yeah. Um, and this is not a diss to our parents or anything, but there's always generational damage. Yep. Um, they're damaged from their, you know, it just trickles down. Like to say no one has that is a lie. <clears throat> so we have to really go back and like talk to little Justine at yeah. five years old. And when she's having a moment and tell her like what's actually happening, because when you were five, you didn't understand it. So it's just rewiring that kind of stuff and it's dark, but I highly suggest it. So if you need any tips, please reach out to either of us and we can direct you where to go to do that work. We don't do that work, but we can direct you where to go <laughs> like to, to share do that our work. thoughts on it. Um, yeah. but to that point, you know, like I had an awesome childhood. I really don't have too many complaints. I'm very lucky in that regard, but as I grow older and I'm a mother myself, I have found an ability to kind of put myself more in my mom's shoes than Mm -hmm. ever before and consider how she grew up, where she grew up, the family she grew up with. um, 1,000%. And and just uncover why she is the way that she is in some respects. And it's just, I I feel so much closer to her Mm -hmm. um, being able to understand that now. Yeah, I'm way less angry at my mom. Like, yeah. It's, it, I mean, I can say this because my mom and I have had the conversations, but there was a while there. Like, I, my mom and I didn't really talk for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had babies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just this whole, I was like mind blown of what she actually went through. And then how she dealt with it, I fully understood. Because well, I, there's like this yeah. automatic empathy there of just like, okay, you know, like you were coming up in a very different time you were raising kids in a very different time you were I I think everybody just shows up and does their best and there's no way to predict whether or not our best is going to be sufficient or is going to do do the right job so reflecting back on people's circumstances what their own conditioning might have been man things have changed so much for us as parents from when my our parents were parents when Mm -hmm. their parents were parents like (laughs) i think that (laughs) we'd go to jail if we were like in the right like if we parented like our grandparents parent parented right Right? like we'd be in jail for like child abuse for like (laughs) no like the spankings and the wooden spoons and the belts in school and you know smoking in the house just like all these things right which i'm not dissing by any means like 
everyone went through it. But yeah. now in this generation, if you did that, you would... No, no. I used to sit at the kitchen table and roll cigarettes for my grandma. <laughs> I did yeah. it for my grandma, she too. She had a big yeah. tin of tobacco and the little The machine was so machine. fun. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. I could probably make 300 cigarettes yeah. in a day. Um, Child labor. <laughs> <laughs> and then she'd take me to the bargain shop and let me pick out whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. So, But no, like obviously times have changed. That would be yeah. totally unacceptable now. Uh, and... I should get Aria to stop. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, kidding, what? kidding. That's not okay. <laughs> Pack uh, it up, Justine. <laughs> I'll stop you. Yeah. Lock it in. Um, yeah, so I think that there are... I And on the topic of crisis management, a lot of how we approach crisis is based on our conditioning and how we see other people approach how our crisis in their life. How our parents did it, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, if you grew up with, with parents or people around you that don't handle it well, that don't have the skills to really think logically and strategically in the moment, then that's not necessarily something that you've been gifted. Like, <laughs> no, my Tyler will always be like, okay, Greg, to me, if I'm like overreact, because my dad is an anxious traveler too. Oh. <laughs> so it's like, and Tyler nailed it one day. He's like, your dad's anxious to get there, yeah. then anxious to be there, then anxious to get where he's going, mm-hmm. and then anxious to get back home. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just this, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's me too. So if I'm overreacting, he'd be like, okay, Greg. <laughs> it's like one this day we need to write me. out all of the hilarious nicknames that Ty has for you, <laughs> and then we'll write out all the hilarious ones we have for him as well. <laughs> he doesn't even know about you those. You guys yeah. have so many good nicknames, Greg. He calls okay, me Slim Greg. the most. Slim, Slim, yeah. Slim Shady. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that's. Um, yeah. But no, and I mean, you and Ty are such a beautiful yin and yang for each other, and it's like it's it's great that you have that ability to balance each other out but yeah I also have no doubt girlfriend that if there was a crisis that you two were facing and for some reason he wasn't handling it well mm-hmm. you would rise to the occasion in there's a way there's been a few that, times exactly, <laughs> but not right? many like, but yeah. it's, it might not be your default but I think that there's a strength there that understands when somebody else needs our strength yeah 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 even if it's the person that we normally rely on for, for strength sure. yeah. yeah no it's it's definitely I'm softer when he's around, right? right? Just because I know I can be. Yeah. I don't have to be the strong one always. So that's definitely the case. But um, I, I'm kind of the same. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> even when we talk about, like, professional crisis, I cry. Yeah. I'm just default mm-hmm. a crier. I right. should maybe get, a, like, a <laughs> medical bracelet made. Default crying. You know, mm-hmm. just, like, I, I always cry if I'm just any... If I'm stressed, if I'm anxious, I cry. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it could be worse, but, yeah. It's yeah, my, and it's my go-to I mean, reaction. I've definitely cried a few times in professional situations, but I have, this has been a conscious and deliberate intent of like hardening my shell in those situations. Mm-hmm. I have got a very thick skin. I can take the heat. That's why I'm in the kitchen. Um, yeah. And it, for me, that's my defense mechanism is like, I feel stronger with every minute that goes by that I'm not crying because I think that when we're feeling hurt or when we're feeling afraid or when we're feeling um, like our backs are against the wall, it's easy to get emotional. Mm-hmm. And I, I do consciously make a decision of like, no, I'm going cry to later. <laughs> I'll cry later. Exactly. And I might cry hard later, yeah. but for me, there's just something in my conditioning and you know I've seen my mom do it a million times over like Margaret's a 
badass. Yeah. And I've seen her do this in, in so many different situations in life where she was facing a crisis and she just takes charge and um, does what she can to solve it. And I think that's exactly where I get a lot of this from. Oh, yeah. And 100%. You know, my dad's just always the guy that's had her back and, and is there for her. But um, I, I don't know anything different. So for yeah. me, that's how I handle it. But I also in becoming friends with you have identified situations where it is of a benefit for me to be softer and to let down a bit of that hard shell so that we can feel it in a way that is tolerable for everybody involved. Yeah. So it's not going to help if I'm just like <laughs> steaming down the track and you're laying there waiting for the train to hit you. Like. Yeah. I, I've been blessed. I honestly only worked, I think, um, in like a, business environment I was a waitress before so I just go in the back and cry um (laughs) but I think I only worked for maybe a year and a half out of college before my husband and I started our first business Mm -hmm. um so I didn't really have to deal with too much of that and I was still I was had a business degree so I was in like accounts payable so Mm -hmm. there was no arguments happening there corporate wise um there was a joke always at onsite that if I came into your office, you weren't getting fired because I could never fire anybody. <laughs> but if Tyler came into your office, you might be a little worried. <laughs> so, and it was just the case. Cause if I knew someone was getting fired or laid off, I would like not be there or be right. in it. I don't, I get so uncomfortable and I just, I, I cry. And obviously that's something to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, have been lazy and not because I haven't had to really because right. I've had the luxury of being like okay I just get to do charity and philanthropy work now mm-hmm. so that crying is welcome there right so um yeah but whereas I've like I've watched obviously you like have talked to me about stuff and you've had to have a co- lots of conversations around lots of tables with lots of big people and lots of big personalities and lots of in particular, men. Well, yeah, I, like I'm not like. Do I from, say it? No, yeah, let's call a spade a spade. Don't I mean, me some wrong. women don't. Some women can like put up that vibe too. But yeah, it's they want to intimidate you. Yeah, and you have worked so hard on. You said like creating the skill set to sit at that table. I have created the skill set to sit at that table with Tyler. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Knowing he has my back or, yeah. you know, you that have my back. Um, not my strongest quality. Um, but but yeah. I think the, you know, kind of little moral of that story is that, like, those skill sets are attainable. Mm-hmm. You can cultivate those skill sets. Sure. I wasn't always able to sit at a table with six to eight men. Um, and feel confident and comfortable in the room. But what I learned over time and time again was that the more I control what I can control, the better equipped I am to handle it. When I can go into these situations and immediately take charge of my surroundings, establish my presence, speak so that um, I'm being heard, speak clearly, think about what I'm saying, then it's almost like their backs go down a little bit, oh, yeah. but I, I just, that's what I mean. It's I've like just... what Ashley Collingbull said. You deserve to stand there, right? Absolutely. Like the second you know you deserve to stand there. Yeah. It helped. But yeah, it's, it, you have to work on it. Well, it's, and oh, that's yeah. just it. When you cultivate that kind of strength in uncomfortable situations, when you know how to face something and you know it's going to feel yucky, but you just have that talk with yourself of like, okay, no matter what, I'm going to be okay. No matter what. It'll I, end. It'll <laughs> end. Exactly. This is not forever. Um, you know, that's kind of on like the, the day-to-day crisis side of things of dealing with those difficult situations. But 
I, I think we'd be lost on this conversation if we didn't mention like the big, big life crisis when we um, experience unexpected events that alter everything in our world as we know it. When we lose a loved one, when we have a family member diagnosed with a, a critical illness or disease, um, when it, like there are just those big things that those like losing your house or like just yeah the big, right the like big, there are big. some things some crises that don't necessarily end they will go on forever yeah and so at that point you have to find those new skills and look for those new silver linings because oh man you can let it hurt for a long time if you don't actively find a way to to address that crisis. Well, there was, um, in one of, in my yoga teacher training, one of the other students said something and it kind of stuck with us through our whole, whole training. It was like, oh, that person only has so many tools in their toolbox. Like mm -hmm. they don't have the tool. Mm -hmm. They're not going to know how to fix it. And I know it's a very common analogy or phrase, but it's so true, but it's also true to remember you can always go out and get more tools. Absolutely. <laughs> like it's, they're not like, it's not a commodity. You Like you can go and get whatever you want. You sometimes you have to pay for the tool, but mm -hmm. You have the ability to get the tools if you want to get the tools and add them to your toolbox. And Well, and yeah. it's like if you've never actively had to face grief or the loss of a loved one, uh, you don't probably have those tools, right? No. And that's okay, but identifying yeah, You don't want to that... be a part of the club. Exactly. But... That's the worst club to be a part of. But understanding that it's like, okay, I have to figure out what skill sets I need to be able to carry on and to move forward mm -hmm. in life. Yeah. Um, and there's so many tools out there that it's there's no one size fits all solution but i think that again coming back to that look for the silver linings look for any bit of strength. ray of sunshine that you can strength that you can that's really what carries you through until the clouds start to part well and you build resilience right yep. so every time you sit at that table or every time you go through a crisis or and you make it through you yeah. ha you have that moment after of being like oh we made it you know we're here take that moment like don't waste that moment and just be like okay we made it through take that moment and be like what did I do awesome yeah what did I f not do so awesome you know what are the silver linings what could I how can I build more resilience because something similar is probably going to happen you know it might yep. not be the exact same but they're never going to stop so well and by identifying what you didn't like about how you handled it is how you build the strength to change it the next time that's how i have such a thick skin mm -hmm. in these intense business moments is because i've just been there so many yeah. times i did cry the first few times and i didn't like the way it made me feel because that's just a side of me that i don't really like you to share away with being a lot like of i didn't want to cry right <laughs> and it's like I'll identify things like, oh, I wish I hadn't have said that, but I'm also not going to live in a space of like, oh, I wish I hadn't have said that. It's like, but I did say it. So, okay, change it next time. Yeah. Just own it. Um, yeah. But we all have the ability to grow those skill sets and to um, just be better every day. I love the saying, you've made it through 100% of your bad days. Mm -hmm. I find such safety and security in that mm -hmm. statement because it is so true. <clears throat> when you're not feeling strong, like you've already made it through 100% of your yeah. bad days. You have. What's one more? <laughs> like, well, and that's it, right? It, you have to remind yourself you'll make it through. Like mm -hmm. there is an end to it. Um, not always like an, an end end, but mm -hmm. it will get better or Absolutely. the situation will be over or you'll figure out a solution and it does eventually end. So you gotta. Well, yeah, time really that. does heal. heal. <laughs> yeah. And, and like I talked about my identity crisis a couple years ago, the only way that I could have gotten through that was just by taking the time that I needed. 
I'm notorious for just like blasting into something else and just like, okay, got to keep my, my Carpet, mind busy. Over. Exactly. <laughs> Bye. Um, Don't Dump the body. <laughs> um, but after I went through that identity crisis, it was like the whole universe was telling me with every subtle and not so subtle <laughs> signal that it could possibly send my way. Lindsay, chill the fuck out. Take a step back, you know, reevaluate, get to know yourself, spend time with your, your people. And we've talked lots on this podcast about how we're a product of the people we spend the most time with. And I was so lonely without you last week. I like, honestly, I felt like I was lacking a little bit of a sparkle. So we get to Mexico and Tyler's like, have you FaceTime Lindsay yet? And I'm like, <laughs> no, but I'm going to right now. <laughs> it's just like, it was like the first thing I put... Sorry, mom. But it was before I called my mom. I'm Aww. like, I have to FaceTime Lindsay. Like, the umbilical cords do stretch. Right. Out. Yeah, we're too far away from each other. Well, and but. it's like I did industry night while you guys were gone. Yeah. And, like, I mean, it was it was, it was was a great night. We had an awesome time. Excellent turnout. I'm so proud of how this event is growing. But I walked out of there and got in my Explorer and instantly called Justine, <laughs> knowing that it was like 1130 at night in Mexico. Um, but just I'm vibing high and, yeah. and wanting to share it with you. And so, you know, again, on the line of crisis, when we're going through stuff or we're not feeling good, like find your people that make you sparkle because, mm-hmm. you know, not that we were going through a crisis in any of no. these scenarios, but just... I know who my sparkle people are. I know yeah. who my people are that light me up. And it, it certainly doesn't help if I'm surrounding myself with people that steal my sparkle and don't necessarily share theirs. No. If that sparkle analogy makes sense. So, it definitely, yeah. well, you think of like birthday sparklers, right? Oh, yeah. If you try, they if light you try, each other. But if you try to light one too much with the other one, the other one goes out oh. and only one sparkles. That makes sense. Because it's suffocating the other one. <laughs> all right guys so on the next podcast we'll do a science experiment. Yeah, exactly. okay i have quotes but i have two because i knew this conversation i kind of knew it was going to go in a few different ways so both of them are relatable to the conversation and quite short so the first one is from andy gilman the secret of a cri- of crisis management is not good versus bad. It's preventing bad from getting worse. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Justine, you need to like take that to your forehead in the crisis. Because <laughs> I was like, okay, we'll I get make you it a worse. Pin. We'll get you a pin. Yeah. We'll call it your crisis pin. <laughs> and you just put it on. Because I definitely do make it worse. Anyway, uh, so the second one is Timber Hawkeye. And it says, you can't calm the storm, so stop trying. What you can do is calm yourself. The storm will pass. That's right. Beautiful. And you said that in your own words, lots through this podcast. It just, you can calm yourself. That's it. Totally. And I mean, I think to start season two with a conversation like crisis management was just like, <laughs> I, we actually, that just kind of came out yeah, of nowhere. We didn't really plan that. We had a conversation quickly yesterday about it, but we just really want to share the tools that, um, that we know that work we want to share the things that we know that we're working on because mm-hmm. maybe listener you have some tips on crisis management yeah, give them to me <laughs> share them you know we would love to share them yeah. with our listeners we're not perfect um, and like we're working on exactly. ourselves so and and you know maybe you've got some tips on how i can maybe soften that shell a little bit sometimes we need like a middle right of like Lindsay yeah. and i and yeah. like a, like a medium boil here so <laughs> yeah but no it's good and hard and soft yeah it's yeah. it's good right and it's um, always showing up yourself and working on yourself, right? That's what we always come back to. And I think that also leads into being 
shamelessly ambitious is being authentically yourself. Yeah. Um, my definition of shameless ambition keeps changing and I think it always will. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I think it just gets bigger. My definition of it gets bigger and bigger. Um, but right now I'm sitting in the authenticity part of it. And I think, um, yeah, in a crisis, you just be authentically yourself, even if it's messy, but always do the reflection. For sure. Always do the reflection. Exactly. And that's just it. All you can do is grow through what you go through and, um, face it till you make it. I hate that statement. Fake it till you make it. That's just it's not Tyler's real life. favorite. <laughs> oh, we're gonna have a chat about that, Ty. We're gonna re uh, reposition that or what's one. The other one. Um, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission. Yeah, I can get behind that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we hope you enjoyed episode one of season two. Holy man, I can't believe season two is already here. We're going to have so many cool conversations yeah. this year. Like I, I get giddy just thinking about Me too. it. So. Yeah. And let us know, as always, if you want us to chat about something. We have lots of conversations to have, but we're always happy to work something in if you want us to talk about it. Absolutely. This is just our safe space to embrace authenticity, to share with you, for you to share with us, and to keep the conversation going in support of ambitious women. Mm -hmm. So thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye.